everyone. I am Paul Levengood, president of the Virginia Historical Society, and it's my pleasure to welcome you all to Pistol Pop, Peanut, and Pedro, the Negro League baseball experience. Walt Whitman described baseball as America's game. And like America, the history of baseball is marked by inequality and injustice, as well as courage and sacrifice. Although they may have not had baseball in mind, today we recognize one of many chapters in our continuing struggle to achieve <coughs> the ideals expressed by our nation's founders. I'm very excited to be able to meet people who made history by using their talent and dogged determination. The four former Negro League baseball players on this stage pursued their love of America's national pastime and contributed to the continuing stories that define Virginia and the nation. In the process, they broke records, color barriers, and even glass ceilings. The story of America's game is as much about their accomplishments as it is about the players who will take this, the field this evening at the Diamond, and we have two of them here. By the way, the squirrels play the Bowie Bay Sox at 635, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> and I would be remiss at this moment if I didn't mention something very self-serving to this crowd, and that is, we at the Virginia Historical Society have been collecting Virginia's history since 1831. And we possess, in this building, nearly 8 million processed manuscripts, almost 200,000 books, and 75,000 objects. But sadly, there is virtually no representation of black baseball in those collections. This is an oversight that my colleagues and I would very much like to correct. So I'm putting out a call to you. If you have any Virginia-related sports memorabilia, particularly items related to black baseball, and would like to ensure that they are preserved for future generations to study and learn from, please consider a donation to the society. One little bit of housekeeping. Even if your ringtone is take me out to the ball game, <laughs> please take your cell phone and turn it off or to silent at this time. Now today's program, I am very proud to say, is co-presented with several organizations. I mentioned the Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, represented here by two players. But we are brought together today also by the Center for African American Genealogical Research, Inc., and the Urban League of Greater Richmond. And let me extend my thanks to these co-presenters for this wonderful opportunity here today. And I'm very glad to have Paula Royster, who's president and CEO of CAGRI, that's Center for African American Genealogical Research, Inc., who will introduce this morning's program. Paula? Thank Richmond for that lovely light show you gave us this morning about 545. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be back uh, in the state, state's capital. Uh, I want to thank first, and, and let me just go through my list, and then after that we'll give everybody one big round of applause. How about that? Paul Levengood, the president of the Virginia Historical Society, his staff, uh, Andy Talcoff, Jennifer Gill, Dr. Laurenette Lee, Cynthia Moore and all of the Virginia Historical Society volunteers who are here today. I want to thank Stephanie Sachs and Andy Oppenheimer from the Richmond Flying Squirrels for 
their no donation to our silent auction, and for getting these players here this morning. Our partner, the Urban League of Greater Richmond, the uh, sponsors that we've had, Ingrid's Bakery and Patty Parks, for making this two-day event a success. We were in Fredericksburg yesterday. We came here last night, and some of you may have seen us on television this morning or late last night. Uh, so we're excited to be here, and my organization is very excited to present to you American history, not just African American. These players made baseball what it is today, and many of their stories are still untold. But I want to thank them and everyone else for coming out today to this wonderful facility, the Virginia Historical Society. So give them a big round of applause. <laughs> I don't want to take up much time because we want to go right to the Q&A and George Durham has a lot to say. <laughs> Those who know him know what I mean. But before I take my seat, I want everyone to know that we're not just recording history where it hasn't been recorded or under-recorded. We're having a silent auction today because some of these players who played this game have died and they have no headstone. Did you know that there were women who owned Negro baseball teams? The first woman was Olivia Taylor. She owned the Indianapolis ABCs. She was a successful woman until the raid happened by Major League Baseball in taking Negro League players over to the Major Leagues, starting with Jackie Robinson. Olivia Taylor, the first woman to own a professional baseball team, does not have a headstone. Josh Gibson, who died 30 years ago, recently got his headstone. The Negro League players have donated valuable memorabilia to help us raise money to purchase headstones for these players. While there may not have been much dignity in life, we certainly agree that there should be some dignity in death. I hope after you enjoy this <coughs> time that we'll have with the players that you will consider stopping by to look at these items and helping us to secure the funding to purchase these headstones for America's heroes. Enjoy the rest of the program. Thank you. Thank you, Paula, and thank all of you for being here today. And Paul, thank you for delaying your vacation so that you could be here to welcome the players. So much appreciated. It is so vitally important that we give people the dignity of identity so that they will remain unknown no longer. And so we appreciate the work that you all are doing in donating your memorabilia, raising money for their headstones. Let's take a moment to introduce ourselves to the audience before we begin. We'll start on this side. Um, my name is Wendell Fallon. I'm from a place called Loosedale, Mississippi, a small town, and I played baseball for a long time, and now I'm here with the Richmond Flying Squirrels for the second year, and I sure appreciate it. 
I'm Amy Peanut Johnson. I pitch for the Annapolis Clowns. Um, my name is Johnny Monell. Um, born and raised in the Bronx, New York. Uh, this is my. S uh, I guess this is a big following. <laughs> but uh, I, I wish I was actually out there, actually listening to these guys. But you know, much respect to those guys, and you know, I'm here to listen to them. Actually, you know, quite shocking. But you got. Thank you. Hi, my name is Pedro Sierra. I'm. Uh, originally from Cuba, and I'm very proud to be part of this wonderful legacy of the Negro League. And uh, before Joe pinched me, I'm going to pass the phone to him. I'm Joe Durham, and I'm from a little place not too far from here, down the road in Newport News, Virginia. I, uh, I know a lot of you heard of Newport News, Virginia, because we take proud of uh, and being the world's greatest shipbuilders, that's us. And uh, I played for the Chicago American Giants in the Negro League, and I, uh, I was in the Oriole organization for over 40 years, uh, playing for the Orioles. And I, uh, and by the way, I want to thank the squirrels for coming today. I'm sorry you guys lost last night, but that's <laughs> just the way it is. And you're playing Baltimore's team, aren't you? That's right. But uh, I'm happy to be here, and I hope we have a lot of fun while we're here today. Good morning. My name is Hank Pistol Mason, and uh, I'm from a little town, 8,333, was until I left, and now it's only 8,332. <laughs> I played for the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro League. Um, several minor league teams uh, affiliated with the Philadelphia Phillies and with the Philadelphia Phillies. Thank you. Thank you. Let me ask, I recently learned that the Negro Baseball Leagues were the first to hold night games. What were those first night games like? How were they different from the day games? Who was coming out? How was it? The different the game, the players and whatnot. Yes. Well, I know uh, I've watched a lot of players a day, and and I don't know what it is about, but I never seen so many players swinging bad balls. <laughs> uh, balls in the dirt and whatnot. Uh, now I know I swung at a few bad balls, but I don't think I swung as many as I'm, I'm watching. Even in the major leagues, they're swinging at bad pitches, and. Today, the guys got everything. Uh, the facilities are great. We didn't have that. Because when I played double-A ball, like Richmond is double-A, uh, went a little place called Beaumont, Texas. Only two guys could get in the shower at the same time. And uh, no air conditioning in the clubhouse. And Beaumont is hot in the summer, believe me. You talking about 94, 96 every day with no air and the showers on. And you got four trunks that we travel, we travel by train. And you had to have equipment in, uh, in the train. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, your bats and your uniforms and whatnot were in those uh, 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 pieces of uh, luggage out there on the floor. But uh, I don't know. It's just I don't know what it is. It's uh, I think the players today got everything made. I mean, as far as uh, money-wise, the guy can uh, double A like the squirrels. 
I always call that the, the, the crisis. That's the turning point in baseball. If you can play double A, you should be able to play in the major leagues. Just a matter of time. Just keep, keep battling, keep battling. We had guys, uh, uh, you had to hit. If you were an infield or outfield, you had to hit. If you were a pitcher, you had to pitch in the, when you were down in the minors to even get up the top because back in those days, you only had 16 teams in the league, eight in each league. And uh, they kept about the same roster every year. The Yankees, you could run down like a 1945 roster, 1950 roster, about the same. They didn't lose the same guys playing. And it was hard for a kid to, to make it in those days. But just speaking to you again, you guys got it made. Is very fortunate to play ball, give it all you got. And, and I still think you'll be able to make it. Um, you do know who introduced uh, uh, night baseball. You'll tell us. Kansas City Monarchs. Okay. <laughs> they had uh, 18 wheelers with transformers on them, and uh, they followed the team around, and uh, that was the first night baseball. Mm-hmm. Kansas yeah. City Monarchs. <laughs> understand people would come dressed up? Oh, um, in Kansas City. In Kansas City on Sunday, the, the preachers would uh, cut their sermon short <laughs> so that everybody could get to the ballpark. And they would come in their uh, uh, church attire. And, and, and that's why they was always dressed up when they came to, ch- to the ball games on Sunday. Yeah, it's, a, it's very impressive, you know, especially for me as a young player that had come from, from Cuba to go in a ballpark and play like places like Memphis that was extremely hot, Memphis, Tennessee, and, and Birmingham, Alabama, and see how nicely – uh, everybody dressed, the ladies with the big hat and all the gloves, and they were, you know, fanning themselves. You know, it was just, it, it was great, impressive, you know, and much more impressive that we had large crowds, you know, to, to, to attend the game, and much more than later I was able to compare with the crowds in Major League Baseball. Segregation was such an entrenched part of our society, um, and for many reasons, we are thankful that that is no longer a part of our society. But many people feel that we've lost something uh, with integration. What are your feelings about integration? Integration to me was something that I really didn't learn about until I went. I learned about it, but really to experience it is when I went to try out for the all-white team. Because down south where I came from, it was all black. When I went to New Jersey, when my grandmother died, it was all white. I was the only black girl in an all-white school. And then when I came back to D.C., when I came to D.C., it was all black. And it never dawned on me that there was a 
segregation thing. So when I went to try out for the all-white league, Rita and I was rejected. And I said to myself, what is it about us that we can't play with you? And then I realized what it was. Now, I'm 17 years old. So I, I, I went back home and I, I discussed it with my mother because I, I, I never put the two together because I, I never went through it and I didn't understand it until then. And then I realized what segregation was because I had been with whites and the blacks and whatever and I was treated the same mostly where I was. And at home, I got a white grandfather, a white grandmother on one side, and a black grandmother, grandfather on this side, but I'm treated the same. So I don't know the difference about black and white. I'm, you know, I'm a child that's in something that I really don't understand the difference of it. And I was always treated the same. So I didn't realize what segregation was until then. And then when I realized it, it didn't bother me. Because I feel like, hey, I'm good as you, one way or the other. And you better act like you're going to treat me as nice as you do the other. Because, you know, it wouldn't be so nice for us to have a fight. Because that's what was going to happen. <laughs> so that's the way that went. I mean, <laughs> you might get jumped on, you know, really. <laughs> so so I, I enjoyed myself one way or the other. So, you know, after I learned it, I got treated the same. And it, it really didn't bother me. If you like me, it's all right. If you don't, it's still all right. So, you know, I go my way and you go yours, and let's have fun, that's it. <laughs> now that you still got the microphone, let me ask, because you're the only female, and you were one of three females that helped to uh, integrate uh, baseball along gender lines. What was it like being one of three females? Well, actually, me. I was there to play baseball, and I was rejected by two or three ignorant fellas, that's what I call them, because they thought, hey, I, you know, I couldn't play or whatever. But uh, I pr after I proved to them that, hey, I can pitch as good as you, and then I was accepted. That's just like in anything. You have to prove yourself that you are capable of doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then I got all the respect in the world by a whole lot of fellas after I struck three or four of them out. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they, they realized that I was there to do a job, and, and, and that's what happened. 
And and then I became one of the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add? Well, I um, when I played double A, I was the only black or African American on the team, and that meant playing in segregated states like in Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana, Shreveport. I even hate to hear that name, Shreveport, because they gave me a fit in Shreveport, uh, playing left field right there by the 55-cent bleachers for whites only. And they stayed on me the entire evening, but I never paid them any attention. And it was amazing how I had my best nights in Shreveport. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just, so I said, they came to see me play. That's all. Let them sit and talk all, you know, what they want to do. But integration, uh, you know, it just happened that a lot of people didn't understand uh, what a black player could do until you integrated and let him play, and then you could see. And then you go back and check all the records in baseball, and a lot of records were held by black players, and they didn't even get into baseball until 1947, as long as baseball had been around. But uh, that's the way it is. But the segregation, uh, uh, integration, is, has hurt the black colleges more than any, anybody else. Because at one time, you had schools in this area, like Virginia Union, and uh, go up to Washington, to Howard, Baltimore to Morgan. They had great teams because they got players from New York and Jersey and Philadelphia. But there's a lot of big schools between Richmond and New York. And they're going to the big schools where, you know, where you get a nice scholarship. And some of the things that are coming out now that aren't supposed to be happening or did happen, I mean, putting money under the table to players and taking care of the parents. There's a guy coming in a little small house, and the next thing you know, he's living up on a on the hill in a big house, and somebody would put some money in his pocket. But see, and then they finding these things out. But that's, that's what we're really hurt right there. I, that's why I said, I don't, baseball is, is a family game, and you should play and stay together. And my first my year to, uh, in, in the Texas League, I, didn't, I was across town, and the only time I saw my teammates were at the ballpark. But it didn't bother me, because I met a lot of people uh, very influential people across town. And some of them uh, today that you've uh, even when played, you know, throughout Alabama one night, uh, I met uh, Miss Lucy, uh, uh, Martin Luther King, and those places, people like that. It was just, it was just a wonderful experience. And I'm, I'm happy to see that we could get together and play together, and, uh, you know, everybody's happy. Uh, when the major league started taking uh, black baseball players, that hurt the Negro League. That hurt Negro businesses. You see, the Negro League was the second largest black business in the United States, Madam J.C. Walker, uh, Walker. Uh, yeah, uh huh. She was the first. North Carolina Mutual Insurance was the third. But when the Negro League folded, there was a lot of 
hotels that folded, a lot of restaurants that folded, uh, uh, all kind of Negro uh, businesses folded. And I was the first black ball player to play for the Schenectady Blue Jays. And I arrived there one Sunday. And uh, I didn't know I was the on, on, only black player on the team. So I walked in the clubhouse and everybody started looking at me, you know. And, 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 and I knew I was looking good, you know, because <laughs> I knew I was looking good because I had a suit that I owned that I had made in Kansas City. And uh, the manager, Don Osborne, said, uh, well, you haven't been pitching very much for Syracuse, so I'm going to put you in the bullpen until you get, you know, your control. So I went to the bullpen, and, and uh, in the sixth inning, he called me in. And I never heard so many things from the spectators and the visiting club. But you know what happened? You got to be determined. You must be determined. And I've got the clippings right now. I struck out the first three men that I faced. And you didn't hear another word all, 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 all the rest of the game. There you go. Again, just one other thing. Um, if you can play, it doesn't matter what color you are. And if you, I was an outfielder, and with my batting average, I wasn't going to stay there very long. You don't you hit 391 in double A, you're hitting. So Baltimore called me, and then I go to Baltimore, I'm the only black on the team again. So, I said, so I'm, I'm at home again, so it doesn't matter. Keep playing. Well, I, I can tell you, it's to me as a young fellow coming to the United States, uh, to face segregation, which is nothing different than what I had probably seen back in Cuba growing up. Uh, we had segregation. Uh, my father used to call it a deaf mute segregation because you didn't talk about it, you didn't hear about it, but you knew it was present, okay? I, in, in a way, I, I was kind of prepared because I had a play uncle who was uh, coming to the United States a lot. I had an aunt who was a maid who used to come to the United States, you know, so I was kind of prepared knowing that what I was going to face. I, 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 it just hit me real strong because I didn't expect the people to, to, to act that silly or ignorant, okay? Uh, throughout the years, I, I, kind of, I kind of started to, to probably put in mind thinking that, you know, uh, uh, baseball or sports and the arts, are the two venues, you want, if you want to call it for lack of words, that under one roof, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white, uh, rich or poor, atheist, Catholic, Protestant, Republican, Democrat, whatever, under that roof, that particular time, you are rooting for your team, okay? And that, it doesn't really matter. So it is, it's why after you leave the ballpark, then everybody got to think different, okay? And, 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 but I, I, 
being part of a, a, depart- a sport, I, 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 I was prepared. I was prepared perhaps more because my dad told me, my dad was a boxer, and I, I wasn't going to be a boxer, so I chose baseball, of course. But he, he prepared me in the fact of saying that the fan who gave you a standing ovation five minutes after is calling you all kinds of names. And, I, and, and you know, it just did happen. I, but I was kind of prepared in that aspect. I, I, I wasn't aware of the business aspect of, you know, of, of black people in the United States until late years after. So I started, you know, getting more in tone with, with you know, with the business aspect. But I, I know, you, you know, you can't say no, it didn't hurt the businesses. It, it was great that, you know, that it did happen. And, and, but it had to happen on a full level. Okay, and uh, the full level, I mean that people don't have to come together to, to root for your team as different races, and then after you forget. We shouldn't have to talk about Negro League Baseball just this today. I think Negro League Baseball should be a curriculum in the schools where not only American foreigners, okay, their foreign people should learn about the greatness of Negro League Baseball, because in my opinion, it's the greatest chapter in the history of baseball in America. We've used adjectives like dogged determination and courage and sacrifice. Is that how you all see it? And Flying Squirrels, you too. How, how do you see your, your role in baseball? Do you use those kinds of terms or thinking those terms? Um, most definitely. Uh, you guys know what it's like to go through a season, long season, uh, whether it's long bus rides or waking up early for Sunday day games and just to travel. I mean, it's it's a grind. You know, it's it's a long season. You know, you're trying to develop as a player and also as a person as well too. So. You, know, you get to know a lot of the guys that you you work with. You 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 do the same grind with. I call it. You know, uh, me and Wendell, we come up together since 2007 now, right? And you know, we call each other brothers. You know, it's like a family. So, I mean, it's definitely determination and uh, focus. I mean, oh, there's a whole bunch of adjectives I could use that. You know, I, I go through on a daily basis just to look at myself in the mirror and tell myself I'm a professional baseball player. This is the one job I have to put three hours of hard work on the field a day and try to get the best of my ability every day, every night to develop as the player I want to be. Obviously, I want to get to the major leagues. And at this level, they were talking about it earlier, about how the, if you could hit in double A, you could hit in the big leagues. And I could hear them talking about, you know, the, the hitting and the pitching is the same thing with us too. We talk about it in the locker room, and it's 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 funny to see how they still talk about it. Uh, you know, they they love the game. I love it too, and it's, it's just a it's a great opportunity. I wasn't really expecting this, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, I'm I'm humbled to be in these guys' presence. I mean, they've done a lot for us. Uh, you know, they put. The road, you know, they put the stones down for us to walk on. You know, I'm I'm Puerto Rican, you know, native Puerto Rican. 
I'm sure Wendell knows it too, man. It, you know, these guys went through a lot just for other cultures can play baseball in the United States. And it's a privilege and it's an honor. And I, th I thank you guys, man. I appreciate it. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, we are not makers of history. We are made by history. Do you feel that history made you who you are? In a sense, I, I, I really don't know if history, well, history made the world. And coming up, I learned a whole lot that I didn't like that I never spoke about because I felt like it would hurt other people. And that wasn't my thing to put somebody down or say you not this and you not that. If I'm doing something a little better than you, that's not a nice thing. This is what I like to tell children, respect yourself, and then other people will respect you. And, and, and going through life, there's so much that you have to try to understand that you don't. And that's, that's, that's one of the things that I live by, always have, ever since I've been old enough to understand what life was, what uh, uh, it's all about within myself. I, I, I question myself, should this be or shouldn't it be before I try to explain it to anybody else because feelings are a big thing in life. And hurting someone else's feelings or doing something wrong to somebody is not so nice. So that's, that's, that's my thing about the life things. Question yourself first, and then maybe you can help somebody else. That's, that's what I try to do with it. I, I, I kind of echo a lot of the things that Mamie is saying, you know, um, one of the things that has always been important in my life, you know, the respect of other people, respect of the elders, but not only the elders. You know, I, I was taught to respect people from one day old to between that 100 years old bracket. I, uh, it, it was very, very, was very paramount and you know, in, in, in my family and, and with, with all not to dis put down disrespect, I guess the Latin families, we had that paramount of respect first and then after. Uh, we would never talk back to anybody. Uh, and when I got into my baseball career, I, I, was, I, was, I was so 
intense and and being a baseball player and had the the desire and the determination and the dedication and that but it's very important. But one thing that I that I took through my life out of Negro League is that the respect that the managers instilled in me, okay, which is something that I had growing up from guys who taught me playing baseball. Respect the manager, respect the players, but most of all, respect the game. That's very important. Respect the game. Don't do anything that will make you embarrassed or change your family about what you have done. I'm, I'm very proud, very proud to be a Cuban. Very proud also to have been living in the United States for so many years, 50 years I live here in the United States. I'm very proud of, you know, having to, but I'm, I'm always in my life, I will respect people. I will do my best to try to teach people, you know, that way, to try to tell them, you know, that the best way that you could go about in life is just respect yourself, and then you respect people, okay? And then there you, go, you go from there. You know, re respect, I'm glad you used that word respect. Uh, I was taught that way coming up. I, my grandparents, I, was, I grew up in my grandparents' home. Uh, my dad died on the 17th of July, and I was born on the 31st of July. That's two weeks prior to my coming in here, so my mother moved back home with them. And she taught me a lot. I used to hang out with her. This is just, Go wherever she went, and uh, uh, beach uh, down the Bay Shore, or Buckrow Beach, or down we had, we had a lot of fun together. And I respect and the the neighborhood I came up in. I know one of the greatest neighborhoods in Newport News because everybody in that neighborhood achieved something. We have like lieutenant colonels, or colonels out of the army, with two doctors that I grew up with. Uh, Two lawyers I grew up with, and you had and you had to play. You had to do something. So I, <laughs> that's the way I got on the baseball because one of them encouraged me to start playing baseball. I never played in the baseball until my freshman year in high school, and uh, so that you know that was one of the things. Uh, uh, you, you you liked everybody and you respected everybody, and uh, you may have a couple of people in the neighborhood that you didn't particularly like. There's a lady live right across the street from me. I never liked her. <laughs> because anything that went wrong in the neighborhood in that block, he did it. <laughs> I wasn't nowhere around. But but uh, you have to live with that. I mean, she was a L lady at that time. Somebody was 50 years old back in those days when I was coming up. They were old. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I said, I'm sitting up here now. I'm 81 years old. And I could still do a lot of things that I used to could do. Like on Monday nights, uh, I go down to this place in Glen Burnie we call the Bat Academy. Uh, I think George is wearing a Bat Academy shirt tonight. And I pitch about 40 minutes of batting practice every Monday night. And I mean, I don't just loaf the ball up there, I'm throwing it off. But that's good. But when I get home and I can't get out of the car, <laughs> that's <laughs> That's what really hurt. Right now, my arm is just sore as it could be until Monday night, and the soreness is gone. And until I get back home again, that's it. 
you might have to come help me out of the car. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you respect everybody. I mean, like I said, they call me all kind of names, but I still respect them. They paid their way in, and I think they got a right to do whatever they want to do, long as you don't come out here and touch me or hit me. Fine. You can say anything you want, but it doesn't bother me. I never even looked up there that one time. And I've had kids in a knothole gang that they treated me, <laughs> me but I... But they're still the kids, and and somebody taught them what to do or what to say. So uh, you can't blame them for that. So respect is a, a great thing to have uh, in baseball or in general, in life general. So that's about it. Joe, I respect you. You're 81 and can still throw batting practice. Yep. I'm 81 and can't hardly walk the ball up there. <laughs> but I respect you. Um, I got a little. Well, I got drafted in um, 2007, and I'll never forget when I. When I first came um, with the Arizona to spring training or whatever, and every time I talk to a coach, um, I always say, yes, sir, or no, sir. And they, they always say, why you keep saying yes, sir, or no, sir? They say, oh, making me feel old. <laughs> and I never never really said nothing. I just kept on doing it over and over. And finally, I was just came out and said, well, man, that's the way I was brought up. To, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir, to, and, yeah, and yes, sir. And I was like, well. I can dig that. I like that. <laughs> so that's, you know, I was brought up to, you know, respect your elders for sure and, you know, respect yourself. So, and that's what a lot of kids need to be told today too. And, you know, respect, especially respect your elders. Um, you're touring to help raise money for the tombstones of deceased Negro baseball players. And you're uh, auctioning off some of your memorabilia. Could you tell us what some of that memorabilia is and what it means to you? What are the memories associated with those objects? I think we are auctioning off some jerseys, jackets, bats, and I'm not sure what else is included. But I, I, I'm so proud to say that I'm part of this for the purpose that the money is going to be used for, for tombstones, for persons that uh, I don't know if they're for, forgotten or their uh, families just don't have the money or what the, uh, what the reason is, I, I don't know. But I'm very, very proud to be part of the raising of the money for the tombstones. And I don't know where Mr. Eccles is to tell you about <coughs> the rest of it. I, I, I'm not sure. But wherever he is, he... I think we are going to be over in the 
in the Halsey Auditorium. Uh, and the other auditorium is where the auction will be. And I'd, I'd please come and, and buy whatever. They're very, very nice things. The jackets are very nice. I've been begging for one. <laughs> so I'm going to try to get that. But this young man here, he's being robbed of his jersey. He has my number and everything. So when he go back, he's going to have to go. You got a shirt on, honey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he he has to go back with no jersey. I'm I'm taking this. So I, I'm hoping that you will go to the auditorium and buy jerseys, jackets, bats, balls, or whatever there is. Thank you very very much. Yeah. I, other than some. Uh, personal memorabilia I have, I, I have got into the designing time since I retired from working in the government. I, I, I had uh, brought a, a poster done on, on uh, Ray Dandridge, Raymond Dandridge, which is a, a Richmond-born uh, 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 fellow who was the first African-American born in Virginia, inducted in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. Also, I I would put it to a, to a, to a question, but we're gonna run out of time. There are five Virginia-born players who are inducted in Cooperstown Hall of Fame. Five of them only. Okay, four of them from the Negro Leagues, and one uh, uh, of the regular player who I'm who. If you don't know, you're gonna have to come out and take a look at the poster. Okay. <laughs> And also some of the personal things that I think there will be something in good memorabilia uh, 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 to take. And and I thought I had brought with me something that was designed for me. I just happened to learn this a couple of weeks ago. I'm the last living Negro League player signed by a major league club. So it was signed by Washington Senators in 1969. And I'm the only, also the last one who's been in a major league uh, spring training camp, which I did go to the training camp with Washington Senators in 1970 on the Ted Williams before I got sent out to the minor league. But I think that's something that, you know, I, for later, yeah, I, thank, thank you. Uh, you know, I was just sitting here thinking, now baseball means a heck of a lot to me. Uh, if it weren't for baseball, I wouldn't be sitting up here today to see all of you nice-looking people out there. Uh, but I probably would be somewhere cutting grass or something today. Uh, <laughs> not being able to do it. But, and then I started thinking again also uh, what baseball meant to me and the memories I have. On a Saturday afternoon, standing in the outfield in Yankee Stadium, and you're looking around and you says. DiMaggio played here, Babe Ruth played over there, and all these members, Mantle, and I've played against Mantle and uh, Maris in those days, and Yogi Berra, but uh, those are members. How many, you know, kids, how many kids that, that play baseball 
would like to be in Yankee Stadium on a Saturday afternoon playing against the Yankees. I said, Jesus, have to pinch yourself sometimes see if this is real. Because in the travel that I've gained from playing baseball, I've never been able to go down to Colombia, Barranquilla, and Cartagena and those places, uh, uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, the only place I missed I didn't play it was in Cuba. But I played in all the other uh, baseball playing countries down there. And baseball afforded this for me. It's been a pleasure. So I owe everything to baseball, really, from the outset to the day. Uh, there is some posters down there that has all of the Negro League teams that was in the league at one time or another. So you should have one of those. And uh, there are some uh, baseball cards there with a guy that played for the Phillies, and you need to have one of those. <laughs> You really need to have one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm an ordained United Methodist minister. <laughs> you know, minister, you got to watch him. You got to watch him. He's going to get one thing over there. He's going to get a picture with the Philadelphia. Who is the Philadelphia player? <laughs> All right. uh, when we think about young people today and all of the challenges that they face, what is the best advice that you would give them? Oh, he's, he knows who's going to speak up. <laughs> the best advice that I can really give youngsters today. The first one is stay in school. God knows stay in school. Because nowadays education is the best thing that you can have. Because do you know you almost have to have a computer or know how to run a computer to get a dishwashing job. <laughs> but it's the truth. And, and, and everything is so computerized that people can't even get a job if you don't know how to run a computer. And, and, and it's sad that this is happening, but they say it's progress. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's what they call it, progress. They, putting people up on Mars and doing all this, but stay off them up there, though. God don't like that. But anyway, uh, the children nowadays, they, school is the best thing in some respect. It's the best thing that you can get in life now. And most of all, a whole lot of people don't like me to say this, but respect and all this mess here, it starts at home. It really does. It, it, it starts at home. When, when you go to school with no manners from home, then you don't respect your teacher, you don't respect yourself, you don't respect nobody else. And those that do that 
usually don't learn anything because they're stupid. <laughs> I mean, you, you laugh, but it's the truth. It is really, really the truth. And, 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 and these young ladies and, and, and young fathers out here and, and mothers, they, they need to go back to the old program and, and start using a little, you know, the whip, the belt, or the switch or something. Yeah, you, 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 you need to wear somebody out sometime. And honestly, you do. And you know, they, they, they put this thing out that you can't whoop your children, but I tell you what, if everyone raised a hand to tell me that I can't whip him as the judge, I'm gonna give him to the judge and let the judge raise him. <laughs> that's what I'm yeah, that's what I would do because it, it, it's, it's it's ridiculous. The, the, the way children act nowadays. Half of them, they're walking around here with the pants down over the behind. And, 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 and it's disrespectful. It's so disrespectful, too. I mean, how would you like for your mother to walk down the street and here's this boy with his behind showing? That's not nice. That, I, you know, it, it, it's not good. But people don't like me to say it, but I tell the truth. <laughs> I will. I, I tell the truth. I, I, I don't like it. And when I see it, I just wish that I could just, I don't know, you know, hey, where you going? What you doing? Or, or what's on your mind to be doing something like this? And, and these young men need to, parents need to straighten them up. Because this is this, uh, this is not good, and 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 learn some respect and and learn how to treat people. It, it would be a wonderful thing, you know. And I, I, I'm I'm happy when little I see young men. Look at him, you know. He respect. That, that's that's the greatest thing in the world. It is, <laughs> and, and a whole lot of. A whole lot of people who don't know it, but respect to carry you farther than a dollar. Yeah, it will. I mean, them old people that didn't have any education, but they respected themselves. And, 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 and they got all over the world. And, and, and had everything that any poor man needed. They did. My grandparents and my parents and... and, and you know, I, I, I could go on about this, but I better let somebody else talk. I, yes, I, I think I, it is very important uh, to young people that are here in an audience to, to follow what Mamie says, stay in school, go to school. Okay, if, if you have a desire to become a professional athlete, school is most important. If you are going to become a professional athlete, the only three Ds that you need to carry in your bag are dedication, desire, and determination. Okay? It's important. I, from close experience, I can tell you, my youngest son, when I used to live in Maryland, had a scholarship for Howard University, full scholarship. Okay? He didn't get drafted, unfortunately, and uh, he let somebody else think of his mind about something else, but he got an education. 
Right now, he's in a computer pool in the House of Representatives. You know, nice, nice job that he had for quite a long time. And it's important. My other son, he's a Hispanic programmer for Verizon in Hagerstown, Maryland. My other son works in computer out in Baltimore. Education is very important. Okay, it's important to, you know, and even for me, from the part from the beginning, you know, my father forced me, if you want to, to learn English. If I wouldn't, you know, they made me go to school four years and a five years, two hours every day to learn English. And that was something helpful to my benefit because now, not now, but from the years now, if I don't feel like I don't speak English and I act like I don't know, I no comprendo. <laughs> you know, and the other way, you know, the other way, if I go around some places and people think that I'm, you know, I'm not a Hispanic and they talk, they talk to her behind or bad about me, then I just put them in a place, okay? But, you know, it's, it's very important to get an education. And my advice to that, learn a foreign language. You, you never know, okay? One thing that uh, they've done in the school that I thought was very, very upsetting to a lot of people, when they took religion out of school, that meant a, a lot because kids just went astray and forgot where they were or have no respect for anybody. Uh, teachers, I don't know how these young teachers come in today and put up with, especially on the high school level, uh, you could put up with some arrogant young men and young ladies. Now, I, I belong to a club, and we meet every day at McDonald's. And, um, and you should see the kids coming in, uh, pants falling off and loud and, and just raising sand. And I don't know where to get so much money. I couldn't buy in a hamburger and stuff. When <laughs> they had plenty of money. And uh, they just take over the place, and uh, they don't respect anybody. And, it, and I'm sitting there. I'm one of the young guys in this group, <laughs> and, and they they look at us and don't say anything to them. I'm not going to say anything to them. No, uh, let them do what they want to do. But they took religion out of school several years ago, and things seem to look start declining. And uh, I don't know whether you agree with me or not, but. Uh, I'm a staunch believer on, and uh, that's one of the reasons that kids started going backwards instead of moving forward. I think that uh, you should advise the kids don't take any pills that the doctor didn't prescribe for you. Don't let anybody stick a needle in you that the doctor didn't order them to do it. Lock them up. <laughs> if you say don't do it, they will do it. I, I'm, now, I'm going to have to go along with Mamie. If I had one that did it, I would get what my daddy used to give me. He, my daddy 
sharpened his razor on a razor strap. And he sharpened me on that razor strap, too. <laughs> That's the trouble now. You tell them don't do it. And they go ahead and do it, and there's nothing done about it. That's why things are like they are now, how, why kids are like they are right now. But if you get some of the hickory stick two or three times, you ain't going to do it. Thank you. Thank you. For a little bit of um, levity, this comes from Satchel Page. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you are? How old would you be if you didn't know how old you are? Then he say, "Age is a matter of mind. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter." <laughs> well, they used to have an old saying. Uh, Ask guy how old he was, and he was telling me so that was his baseball age, because we had plenty. Now today, uh, the young fellows over there play double A ball. And you got a bunch of kids, 20, 21, 19, playing double-A ball. When I played double-A ball, you had guys old enough to be my father. I saw them play when I was a kid, like Willie Brown and, and uh, uh, those Les Fleming. Those guys were old. And they all, every club had we, – we probably had the youngest club in the league, and our oldest player was like 30 years old. But we had rest guys – 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. But uh, that, that's gone today. See, we, you raise them. It's a farm club. It's just like a farm. Like you're growing potatoes. You got to come up. Start from nothing. Back in those days, they would start at the top of the tree and, and put you in there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people know how old they are, but they don't reveal it. <laughs> we definitely want to make sure that those of you who have questions have the opportunity to ask. And we have um, some of my colleagues in the audience who will come to you if you have a question. You just raise your hand. <coughs> right here. Could you give us the names maybe of the manager you played for and you respected and liked? We don't hear much, it seems like, about the manager names as much as players. Well, I had one manager I disliked, <laughs> really didn't like him. And he didn't like me, and I didn't like a whole lot of other people. But uh, most of the managers I played for, I had a lot of respect for. I mean, they uh, you know, taught you a lot of things and uh, what to do and what not to do, or what to wear, what, what to wear, or what not to wear in different, in different situations. But usually, get along with the manager. Uh, they got a job to do, so you do your job. If you do your job, you don't have any problems from that manager. My manager was Mr. Oscar Charleston, one of the greatest outfielders there was, and also Mr. Haywood, Buster Haywood. And uh, I got along very well with my managers because, uh, like Joe said, if you do your job, you ain't got a problem. 
Yeah, I, I echo that. Oscar Charleston happened to be also my, my manager because Mamie and I were teammates my first year that I was here. And he was a great manager who I had a lot of respect for. Unfortunately, after I came out to the farm system on a Minnesota Twins, I had a manager who uh, I, we didn't like each other from spring training from the beginning. You know, and, 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 that, and that went through a couple of spring trainings to the point that I made a big mistake. My Spanish temper flare off spring training where I knew I had made a team. I was supposed to go to a higher, higher, higher team in the uh, AAA ball, as a matter of fact, in Denver. And he came into the locker room and says, you're not going. And I knew the reason why he, he had, we have clashed in the past. So my temper, Spanish temper flew up and I jump on him. I'm trying to choke him. <laughs> and and uh, that same day I got released by the twins. Okay, and, and I went around the uh, Florida area trying to get signed. And then fortunately to me, I, I came back to camp and Sherry Robertson happened to be the fellow who signed me when I was with Washington Molly system first. And and he came on. I got a big scolding. Got a big scolding and I got resigned, luckily. But then I got sent to 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 play on a manager who was a guy who I disliked the most in the organization, but it happened to be my best manager, a guy named Ralph Rowe. He, yeah, he happened to be the greatest manager uh, that I would say that I had. Uh, we sat down a lot. He, he talked to me about what happened in the past and, and just kind of remind me of the actions of Oscar Charleston where he started nurturing me, even though I was maybe, quote, unquote, a seasoned professional. I had a few years already of professional baseball. And, but, you know, it, it's sometimes that uh, uh, an advice to my Spanish compatriot here, sometimes, you know, you might have to bite your tongue because I did that twice, you know, with the Twins. Uh, my last years, I, you know, they wouldn't move me up, and I told them where to go, and they told me where to go. <laughs> I got I got released, and I went to Canada to play the three years, unfortunately, you know. In retrospect, I look at that, and I said, this, this, this ain't me. But, I mean, it's just something that, that it happens that when, when, when you are, quote, unquote, to use the, the new terminology, you're producing, you are doing, you know, baseball, you think that you have a teammate that you deserve, you know, but uh, they have some other ideas, and you don't know what the manager, manager they have to do, like Joe said, they're doing their job, you know, and they probably trying to bring you along at a pace that they think you are capable to get there, but you think different, okay, and then you just blow up, okay, and, and, and this is something that, you know, that you need to probably be, you know, aware of. Thank you. Great. Oh, um, my manager, the one that I loved most, was John Buck O'Neill for the Kansas City Monarchs. <laughs> Buck coached more players to go to the major league than any other manager in the Negro League. He coached 19 players that went to the major league. And uh, the one that I didn't like real well 
was uh, Kirby Farrell. <laughs> Kirby pulled me out of a ball game one night in Buffalo, and uh, he said, I told you to throw a fastball. I said, well, I got him out with a curveball. And he said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If you're not going to pitch the way I want you to, I said, Kirby, I got a 12-3 and record right now and about 19 saves. And you tell me I don't know how to pitch? I said, if you don't want me to play here, send me someplace else. I said, I, I said when you... <laughs> I said, I said, when you send the report in to Philadelphia, tell them I want to go someplace else. So uh, the next week we were going on a road trip to uh, Miami and Havana, and he called me and said, hey, pack all your clothes. You're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so I packed all my clothes, and I got down to Miami, and uh, uh, Philadelphia had sent uh a scout down there to talk to me. And he said, Henry, he said, uh, what happened to you and Kirby? He said, uh, you never, we, we've never had any trouble out of you. I said, Kirby trying to tell me how to pitch. He ain't never pitched nothing. <laughs> and he said, well, what's all of this? I said, that's my two trunks. And he said, tell you what you do. I said, what? He said, you take out what you need for this road trip send them back to Buffalo and let them pay the expense. You're going back to Buffalo. And after then, Kirby and I were real good friends. <laughs> he would take me to dinner, you know, and, and when I was in Buffalo, I would invite him over to my house. So we learned respect for, for, for both of us. Was there any animosity towards Jackie from the Negro players? No, I don't think so. I think it was, uh, uh, he opened the gate for a lot of uh, people. I probably would have never played myself if uh, never made it if it wasn't people like Jackie Robson. They were called pioneers. See, I saw, you know, riding through Richmond, I, I saw a statue of a, a pioneer, Stonewall Jackson. Now, I got to read a lot about Stonewall. I don't know that much about him, but I do know some things about him. But uh, no, I don't think if some, now I don't know everything. So somebody may have seen something wrong, but I don't think uh, it was an animosity. Uh, he just made it. And the reason he was a reason he played over a lot of other guys, because at the time he was with Kansas City Monarchs, he wasn't even starting at second base. I mean, it was Tony Brooks. Mm -hmm. He was starting at second base. But Jackie, college education, officer in the Army, played in the Rose Bowl, spoke very nicely. And Ricky called him in, and he told him there were going to be some problems. But you're going to have to turn, turn your cheek. And you, you take this stuff, and one day it'll smooth, it'll smooth out. 
he had teammates that didn't like him. Then he had a couple of them that just took him in and and uh, they buddy buddied, you know. But you got you have your teammates that don't like you to talk behind your back. I asked a couple of three on my team, but they never said a thing to me or let me hear them talk about me. But they didn't like me. And, uh, and it was vice versa. I didn't like them either. <laughs> now, uh, I wasn't there, but Buck O'Neill and I were real close. He always called me his son. And uh, he said that uh, when Jackie went to the Brooklyn Dodgers, it was a lot of the guys on the Kansas City Monarchs thought they would be the first to go to. And uh, there was Jesse Williams, Connie Johnson, and Satchel Page that was angry with Jackie because he was in the major league and they were still in the minor league. But Jackie, just like he said, wasn't the best baseball player, but he was the most equipped baseball player to go to the major league at that time, black baseball player. And, and, I, and I will tell you something that I just learned uh, recently. The first black player who would have been in the major leagues would have been a Cuban, okay? They were heard by the name of Silvio Garcia, okay? Silvio Garcia was a great player, a lot of ability, could play, hit, and run. Then I was told that Brian Ricky went to Cuba, to Havana, to talk to Silvio Garcia and ask him, what would you do if a white player smack you in the face? And Silvio said, I'll kill him. <laughs> so... so, so so that 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 opened the door. So you know, you know that you know, and I guess it was suited. You know that that, that Jackie was the you know the best player for for their particular what is called baseball experiment. One more. Oh, and we've got you go Um Every spring training. Our spring training sites in Arizona, Scottsdale. Um, I call it when I get ready to leave from home, get ready to get spoiled because San Francisco Giants organization is s rich with baseball history with Marichal, Gaylord Perry, uh, Willie McCovey, Willie Mays. And the front office of the Giants bring those people to spring training and, and they talk to us. And, and it's, it's Orlando Cepeda as well. Uh, you know, I hear my dad every time he, he talks about when he used to watch uh, Roberto Clemente play. And he was an amazing baseball player. I watch footage. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen him. I've seen footage, and he's unbelievable. I mean, talk about five-tool player. He, he, that's Roberto Clemente. Um, my dad talks about a lot of players, and he also talks about Satchel Page, one of the best right-handed fastball-throwing pitchers in the game, he thinks. Uh, um, but, you know, like I said, you know, we get spoiled in spring training with the delights of seeing Willie Mays, Willie McCovey. Me and Wendell had an opportunity to sit with Willie Mays and have dinner with him and him talk about his stories. I mean, the man's unbelievable. Great heart and just he's funny and he'll tell you straight up how good he was. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, the guy, the guy's something special. I mean, he's awesome. But you know, you know, the way the game is changing now. You know, I grew up a Yankee fan, and I grew up watching Derek Jeter. You know, he's probably, probably the, I would say, the best person on the field to handle himself professionally and off the field. Um, he's not caught up in any kind of drama or trouble. I would say um, the man's he respects the game. If there was one person that if I was to say you want to follow that guy's career and want to have that kind of career, it's definitely Derek Jeter. The way how about he, he goes about his business. But we will be uh, leaving this auditorium and going out into the Cabell Auditorium, the Cabell Gallery for autographs and photographs. And I'll remind you also, there's a ticketed lunch as well, where uh, memorabilia will be auctioned off. Um, the Virginia Historical Society is open every day, Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5, and Sunday, 1 to 5, and we are free. And we are so delighted to be able to bring this wonderful program to you. I usually work in slavery, so it's a delight for me to learn something else. Thank you for being here.